Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. With your host, Dapper Data. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? You're listening to Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. I am your host, Dapper Data. Today, we're going to have something very, very special for you. We're going to talk about operations management and how it relates to data. All right. Operations management is very, very important in any business organization. And I have a special guest that's going to show you why it's so important, because it helps effectively manage, control and supervise good services and people all around. Okay, and I'm I'm bringing this guest on. He can probably correct me uh, whether whether I'm right or wrong, you know. Uh, uh, but but operation management cuts across. I'm I'm pretty sure every sector and industry as it as it may concern, and data has played an important role in operations management. All right, it's almost in every business, like I mentioned before, and especially from an efficiency point of view. Uh, so, without further ado, I want to introduce you all to Thomas Unoles. Hey. Hey, hey, yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for in, uh, introducing yourself, you know, Thomas. Uh, Tommy has been in the restaurant industry for nearly his entire adult life, which I do want to talk to you probably outside of this because I own a restaurant in Ghana, as the audience knows. And so, you know, being able to deal with operational management, you know, is really important to me. And I know David can play a big part in that. Uh, uh, Thomas has been uh, uh, within the, the University of Denver Hotel Industry School. In addition, he, he also got his MBA, his BS, BSBA as well, and his former stand-up comic, okay, listen, listen to that, listen to what I said, <laughs> stand-up comic has turned SAS founder, all right, and he has an extensive experience in helping businesses become more efficient and profitable through process, accountability, and data. All right. Tommy, Tommy, thank you for joining the podcast. Tell them a little bit about yourself. Well, so first of all, well, crazily, I had, we had some clients in Ghana for a while. So oh. I had some restaurants in Ghana that were using the platform. Um, I think, is it French Tom? Is that the right, is, am I getting it right? Maybe? I, I think I know what you're talking about, but I don't think it's specifically, yeah, French Farm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but, cool. So, uh, so I had that. So I'm actually from Maryland too, which is just ironically, like my first restaurant job was at the Jerry Subs and Pizza in the Columbia Mall mm-hmm. uh, when I was 14 years old. And my mom would drop me off at the mall and then they would cut me in an hour. And then I'd have to like just stay there until like four hours later when she could pick me up. Mm-hmm. Um, I got my illustrious start uh, in the restaurant industry. But uh, yeah, I am a restaurant guy by trade, which is ironic because my parents, both my grandparents were immigrants from Puerto Rico and Greece. Mm-hmm. And I have a joke in my stand-up act that I was born in a, like a diner, basically, because that's a <laughs> big restaurant operating cultures, you know. Uh-huh. But then my parents were like, saw how hard it was for their parents. So they were mm-hmm. like all tech. So my dad worked at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, the JHU APL. Uh, and he was a rocket scientist. And my mom worked at Lockheed and IBM and, you know, everything like that. So even though I'm a restaurant guy, because just my natural personality type is that a service, the, uh, you know, I had, like, I knew tech existed. It wasn't like this foreign concept to me because right. my dad was in computers, my mom was in computers the whole time. 
Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got here. I like graduated from undergrad, hotel restaurant degree, and then I basically was getting my butt kicked in my first job because like so many of us, we get these first degrees and you come out of college and I know everything. I got to be like, and then you go to your first job and they're like, slap, you know, nothing. (laughs) Huge wake up call. And I was just getting my booty kicked. And I just remember going to one of my good friends. I was on the phone with her. And by the way, I was like class clown in high school and stuff like that. But like, I was like, I should just be a stand up comic. She's like, you know, you should. You're 23. You have no kids, no wife, no mortgage, nothing. If, when you're 40 and you have all that stuff, you're going to regret that you didn't try this when you were 23. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things like, you know, when you have a conversation and like an idea that's just been floating in the back of your head goes right to the front of your head. And you're like, she's right. I got to go do this. And so I researched it because I lived in Maryland at the time. I live in Colorado now. And I was like, I found an open mic on at Winchester's on Light Street in Baltimore which is this tiny little like weird street that just exists in between giant buildings. It's like one mm-hmm. block. And I went down there, checked it out, talked to the guys. They're like, come back in two weeks and you can get on stage. And so I wrote a six minutes of the dirtiest material you could ever imagine. And I brought my friends down. So I'd have a crowd. There's probably like 10 people in the room. Very popular, you know? And, uh, and I just remember doing my first show and uh, midway through that show, I told a joke and everyone laughed. Mm-hmm. out of pity but like i just remember thinking to myself oh my gosh this is the most amazing thing ever do not forget this moment you know and in my mind that day i became a professional stand-up comedian and everything when everything changed like once you do comedy or something like that maybe your first time performing of anything and you go oh i gotta do this like this is my passion mm-hmm. like, everything changed in my mind so i still worked at this country club and i still you know whatever did my thing but in my mind, I was like, I all I want to do is stand up. So every day, every night, that's all I wanted to do. Just performed everywhere. Actually, there's a famous guy. He's got a couple specials. His name's Steve Simone. Uh, mm-hmm. He was at the comedy store. Him and I started like two weeks apart at Winchester's. And we used to drive to like Wilmington, Delaware. And like my first, like I have the $5 bill and like my drawer behind me was the first $5 I made doing stand up. And I drove from Baltimore to Wilmington, Delaware paid all those tolls because I lost money on the gig, which is most comedy. And right. in this horrible bar where all the guys that worked at the airport would go. And it was like, you could get any laughs. And I gave five bucks. And I was like, five bucks. I'm a professional comedian. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, but you know, that, that's how I got into that. And then, um, uh, yeah, so that's, that's how I did that. And then I ended up, you know, 10 years later going, Hey, I need like, a couch and health insurance and money. So right. I go right. back to get an MBA because I was like, well, I believed all the MBA marketing. I was like, well, you know, if you, uh, you know, my MBA will just erase my 10 years of stand up comedy experience and everyone will just focus on my MBA and I'll be able to go get a job again. Um, and that was not the case. Like, no one knew what to do with me. You, that resume is not a resume that gets through like the computer screening systems well. Like I applied for a billion jobs with that MBA and nobody cared, you know, oh. <laughs> I just backdoor my way into like some gigs and that uh, I went in as a temp and then got promoted very quickly. And then that, and then I got into tech just because I just kind of backed into tech. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah and, and probably, and, and tech probably came from, I mean, it was easy, an easy transition because 
you already had that background from your parents, right? You know, uh, growing up, you're probably thinking, man, all I hear about is technical crap all the time and stuff. <laughs> I think like, here's what happened to me was I was kind of like a, I was kind of a goofball high school kid, right? And then I, I went to Valley Forge Military College. I was going to be a second lieutenant in the Army. And it was going, and then that ended up working out because I got mono and they wouldn't let me go to basic and all this stuff. <laughs> but I had nowhere to go. It was like mid-June. I hadn't applied anywhere. So I said, oh, let's go to Valley Forge anyways. And going through that plebe system, like, changed my world. Mm -hmm. like, that was like I needed that structure of the military. Like when I get mad when people talk about, well, you know, people just go into the military because they have no other option. The military has its huge benefits. My life would be completely different had I never been tested like the military can test you. And I only went to military college. I can't even imagine what basic training does for your confidence and for your, your self-reliance and to teach you like like. I have the highest respect for the military and my experience at Valley Forge changed my world. And so what ended up happening to me was I wouldn't have never done stand-up. I would have never like been a leader in my next college. I would have never like started a company had I not gone to military school because that's where I got my confidence, you know, and I could do stuff and I could be successful. And so I needed that so badly. Um, and what happened to me was at Quiznos, where I was working in like 2008, 2009, I ended up, they came to me and they said, we need to report off of all these audits we're doing. And their idea was you and your assistant will just data enter these hundred question audits into an Excel every month. Oh man, that's painful, man. <laughs> you don't pay me enough to do that job and you just fired everybody. So there's like, I've got a hundred unanswered emails and you just want me to sit there and type in inspections into a spreadsheet. So I went to IT and I said, hey, guys, we need to get this thing solved for the big guys upstairs. And they're like, no, which is exactly <laughs> what does. They just say no to everything. <laughs> so then I, I tried to buy it. We couldn't afford it. Then I said, I'll build it myself. And they said, no, security. Concerns. You know, so like they just they always have a no for everything. But finally, my boss was like, dude, the, like the head of the company wants this. What is it going to cost us to do this? When I told him, he's like, just put it on my Amex card and let's move on. <laughs> building an audit platform, like on 2008 smartphone technology, like fully connected, just a big digital form, basically. Mm -hmm. That's how I dip my feet into tech because I had such a good time doing that. that when my buddy came to me and said, hey, I've got this opportunity at my company. I'm moving on to a new company. Would you like to backfill me? and you had such a good time building that form, would you like to learn this other program? I was like, and I saw the writing on the wall at Quiznos, which was like, like that. So I was like, yeah. I that here, man. <laughs> so I just, I just jumped in, you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. honestly, stand-up comedy has helped me so much in my tech career. Uh -huh. This one aspect, which is, or consulting too, is that I can go into any room and command it if I need to. Like that was the skill I learned in stand-up comedy. Mm. And so literally like a month into my, like this new company, they sent me to do a one week on-site training of this software. And I barely understood the software. Like I legitimately could, I could just kind of get through it. And so I would literally call these guys. I'd be like, I'd call my friends and I'd be like, okay, what do I got to talk about next? Yeah. The next hour's worth of subject matter. And I mm -hmm. go, okay. 
Then I'd go back in the room. I would teach that hour and I'd be like, okay, I think we had a good stopping point, guys. Let's get a coffee and pee. And, go out and I would go call someone on the phone. But, okay, what's the next hour? I literally did that for four straight eight-hour days. I just got us through like each little segment every hour or two. And I got like a glowing review at the right. end. I couldn't believe how good the training was. I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> No man, and look, that's amazing because that's that 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 teach, that lets the audience know that the human brain is so powerful, right? To pick up something so quick and be able to, you know, spit it back. If you're under pressure, right? Under pressure, you excel a lot of times, right? You're the sink or swim, right? <laughs> and uh, important, right? Um, like so, so you mentioned something in there, starting a company, right? You know, being able to focus in on a company throughout your time, throughout this career, throughout this process that you had so far. And uh, I wanted to talk about that company, right? You know, we're talking about Ops Analytica, yep. you know, and Ops Analytica, you're now the managing director there, right, at that company. And I want to know how are you using data to make informed decisions there, right? You know, I mean, when you think about data management and how it helps minimize potential errors by establishing, you know, processes and policies for, uh, uses of building trust, right, in the data being used, like, to make decisions, right, on an everyday basis, right, across any organization. Um, they have things like operational analytics that are involved in it, right, and that's very important. And, I, you know, when you look at the website on Ops Analytica, right, they're, they're talking about all those great things, right, and I know that they're increasing profits. They're having this competitive advantage, right, they're helping you out with that. They're helping you out with improved decision making. They're helping you out with improved employee engagement, you know, you name it. And so it's an amazing product, amazing tool that you are using. Talk a little bit about Ops Analytica, you know, how, how you how you all are uh, making a difference in the world. So, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And that uh, and thank you for the, the, the kind words there. But, you know, so basically what we do is we help our clients manage and measure their team's activities, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about most businesses, especially when we work a lot with big multi-location businesses, chains, right? Like all the Qdobas, the Denny's, they all use our platform around the country. And, and what happens, what has always happened has been that you, when you have a decentralized structure like that, that in the past, when a lot of these chains were formed, the technology didn't exist to, mm -hmm. uh, actually manage the daily activities of the team and see what was actually happening. And so what you had to do is you had to back into operations efficacy, how well we're operating by looking at other uh, KPIs, such as sales, profits, food costs, labor costs in the restaurant industry, um, you know, customer satisfaction. Maybe you have a third party auditing team come out and like inspect your units once a quarter. And so you had to basically go, OK, let's look at all of these other measures. And then based off of that, we can say this is a good store or a bad store. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with that is, is that they're all lagging indicators of operations, but they had no way of collecting operations data. The best that they could do in those timeframes because of a lack of technology, right, is they could do paper processes, which we in the restaurant industry would call your red book processes. The red book was basically the predecessor to platforms like me, where you would put all your custom checklists in there and they would print off one for every month. 
and you would get the book in the mail and then you would fill it out every day. But no one ever could look at it. The data was lost on the pages. No yeah. one could get them. I mean, the reality is, is if you ask any restaurateur, they're all like, yeah, we do our checklist. They all pencil whip them. You know, 80% of them are pencil whipped, if not more. Or they just yeah. do them because you, you couldn't tell. Like the boss could not know unless they physically walked to the restaurant and looked at the book. And mm -hmm. if you run 20 restaurants, then you're not going to be in every restaurant every day. And so the all these multi-location businesses like kind of came up with paper systems and an intense amount of training, right? Because training mm -hmm. was something we could control. So we felt like, so then the whole kind of like common premise was, well, we'll just train the hell out of everybody. We'll spend a ton of money on training we'll give them <laughs> systems and mm -hmm. then we'll just that they do it right and then we'll check once a quarter right to see if they are and that and that doesn't work i mean because what happens is people pass training exams all the time and tell you exactly that they know exactly how you want them to do it all right change their own behavior right they do what's easiest for them so they can tell you all day long i'm supposed to do it like this and this is why and this is why it matters and then you literally pass the test and go back to doing it the way you want to do it and, and that's led that lack of uh, the lack of visibility, the lack of data, the lack of accountability to follow actually following the standards and the processes. Most businesses have a C level of customer satisfaction because they don't get the consistent experience that they that the brand is promising them through marketing, right? You know, and there's like sort of three pillars of running great locations: it's cleanliness. And appeal, right? You can say cleanliness and appeal, depending whether it's retail, whether it's a restaurant, doesn't matter whether it's a car dealership or mm -hmm. getting a car fix. You want to go into a place where it looks like somebody cared enough that you were coming to spend your money and that it's not gross, right? Mm -hmm. You want uh, product execution. You want whatever you're paying for to happen the way it's supposed to happen. And you want it to be speedy in the respect of you want it to take the appropriate amount of time it's supposed to take. Like nobody expects to go to Ruth's Chris and get a steak in one minute, but they also don't expect to be there for six hours waiting for a steak. All right. All right. Every business has a, you know, a normal transactional time frame that you expect to go to. Like nobody wants to go to the doctor and sit there like at an 11 a.m. appointment and not get seen until 1145. Mm. That's bad operations, right? Like it, it doesn't matter. So I mean, that's those are kind of the three pillars. And and that was kind of the hole that was dug through a lack of technology. Just this notion that we, we have to back into what's happening. We don't really know. And a platform like mine, it allows you to see what's happening. So we schedule out the checklists on a on the schedule that makes operational sense for the business. These are the 20 things you need to do before 11. These are the 10 things you need to do before you open the store. So now we can see. Now we can remind people, hey, go check these 20 things. And we can also see what they're doing. And then if they're having a problem, we can capture data on what that problem is. And then a lot of times corporate doesn't even know these problems exist because all that data was just sitting on paper or never getting filled out. But now they go, wait, everybody's answering this question as a no. Well, now they can go, wait a second, well, what does that mean? And then they can crowdsource a solution from the teams out in the field. They can change the question. Hey, why is this happening? Oh, well, there's a leaky valve in the back and it just leaks every day because you guys bought garbage Coke machines or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. but then you 
wait a second. Okay, well, we can actually fix that and make your life easier because now we know about it, right? Right, so right. What it is, it's about managing the people, making sure that they're checking all the things they need to check to make sure we're ready for customers. But also it's about crowdsourcing the data back from the field so we can get better and create that feedback loop, you know, right. and change the process or change the procedure or get something fixed to make it easier. And then we identify another issue and we just keep getting better, you know, over time. And that's so who, what we're trying to create. So, so who are, so, I mean, that, that just, I mean, thank you for that because when you break it down, that just, all I kept thinking about was the massive amount of data that's being collected, right, throughout that process, right, between the, the customer and between the client and your company, right? Yeah. And so, you know, sitting there going through that, how, how long does that life cycle take, right? take, you know, how long does that take usually or yeah, depend? It, like it speeds up as the business gets more, uh, more ingrained into the platform. So what typically happens with us, our biggest customer base is in the multi-location restaurant space, but we're branching into medical, we're branching into automotive, into different franchising groups. We're starting to move into all these different areas because they're in the same boat. They've got people, they've got processes, and they've got documentation requirements, right? That they need to just make sure we're doing stuff correctly. But what ends up happening with our bigger clients, and this is an example, like we have a national burrito chain, right? And they started off thinking we're just going to do those four red book processes, just the standard food safety check. Are we clean and ready for customers? Are thermometers calibrated? Here's a quick audit. Four or five checklists they were going to start with. But then once they realized that this was the most efficient way to manage their operations, they mm -hmm. went crazy and built over 130 additional processes over the last two years to manage every aspect of their business. And they did a poll and they talked to the managers in the stores and they were like, how do you want us to communicate with you? And they unanimously said, we just want it on Ops Analytica. We don't want survey monkeys. We don't want Google forms. We don't want emails. If you need to get data from us or we need to do something, put it in Ops Analytica, put it on a schedule, and then we're in there every day. So we'll just see it and do it. Because you're offering it, right? Yeah, and, and so, but they yeah. can create a feedback loop as quickly as they can react. So like mm -hmm. they had a applesauce recall last December. National mm -hmm. recall, there was tainted applesauce. You got to get it out of your restaurants and you got to make sure you're not serving it because heaven forbid you serve it to a kid and you get, you know, you, you get somebody very sick, right? So mm -hmm. they were able to, they already had like a, a prefaced checklist for food recalls in place, but then they were able to customize it for applesauce you know, put a couple pictures in there. This is the barcode. These are the lot numbers. This is what it looks like. And mm. like, you know, 20 minutes of being informed that they had this applesauce recall, they were able to get this out to their entire chain. And then using the platform, they could identify areas where they had a lot of applesauce that needed to be recalled before the, the, D, the distribution centers even got back to them to let them know that they had sent out that applesauce because their people were telling them, Hey, dude, we've got that applesauce in the Northwest. And so like, like that's how quickly they can create like uh, an example of that, where they could just get that data back in, use it to then go, okay, well, we got to pull that applesauce, tape it, mark it, you know, we're going to get you new applesauce replacement, but, you know, go like that. 
that same company came to us and they, they told us, and this was like two months in of having us. Well, I mean, this is like the best quote ever. I don't, you know, but like, they were like, you, you kept us from making a million dollar mistake. And mm -hmm. once again, it was just, it was actually having real visibility into what was actually happening at the store level. You know, that's what we provide is that real visibility versus just having to guess or rely on your experience, which is oftentimes wrong, right? You know, they don't have to guess. They can see and they can ask questions and they can probe and they can get deeper with people and they can follow up. And it's that line of communication that's this structured process that helps them to make better decisions. And, and, and that really helps out with their ROI, right? You know, a lot of times when you're able to have that uh that 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 efficient process flow like you're you're helping them the customers with you know you're able to help out with the roi a lot you know so how how do you how do how do businesses become more efficient and profitable through processes accountability and data you know i mean i like and, and just me doing a little bit of research on it i look at it and i i look at that question right and i look at how it provides a better understanding of customers, you know, specifically, right? Regardless of whether you um, you run an e-commerce store or sell B2B services, you know, whatever that is, right? Whatever, whatever you're doing, uh, uh, your understanding your customers, that's a key, that's key to your growth in the business. Um, how, how do you explain to customers how to, how, um, uh, ops analytica or, or just period in general, right. You know, being able to become more efficient and profitable through processes, accountability and data. So first of all, systems trump experience and managers, right. In the respect of there's like, if you look at all the managers in your business, 20% of them are amazing. And 80% of them are probably just pretty good. Mm -hmm. Have systems, you can null out the ups and downs of the different managers that are working there because they're all following the same kind of path, right? Mm -hmm. so systems in general are the only thing that make a business scalable and repeatable over time. But as a whole, what happens, I think, in most of these businesses that we kind of deal with in most businesses in the world is that very rarely do you have this massive like customer service failure, right? Where mm -hmm. like, the, like the employee jumped over the counter and started punching the customer. Like that doesn't happen every day, right? Most of the failures that happen in all these businesses that we're interacting with are when these little annoying death by a thousand cut things happen at mm -hmm. multiple stages in your transactional process with the people, right? And it could be Amazon. I ordered this and it never showed up and then I couldn't cancel it. You know, like I had that the other day with, some of my kids clothes or it's at a restaurant you go in and the door's dirty and then like the, I didn't have napkins and then you had to wait 10 minutes for catch up and you know the bathroom was gross not one of those things is enough to go I'll never eat there again but when you have eight or ten of those happen in one transaction or one visit and then that happens several times in a row that's when human beings go this place isn't good I'm going to start changing my frequency of return basically i'm changing my behavior now i don't want to go back to this place every time you go to that subway there's one person working and they never make the subs fast enough and i don't have 30 minutes to wait on a jerky right, right. You know, <laughs> that's how it kind of happens and it's all this death by a thousand cut stuff 
it's very, like I said, it's very rarely like a crazy event, you know, like there was a yeah. finger in my sub and like, uh, and so what ends up happening for these businesses and why this is so important is they've already identified all these areas that they got to pay attention to. The problem mm -hmm. is the people aren't following the systems at the store and nobody's holding them accountable to doing that. And so they're not controlling what they need to control. And then that results in the owners of that store don't get, they don't get the benefit of getting what they paid for with the employee, right? And mm -hmm. the people are coming back as frequently and their sales go down and all this happens. And it's like, so the whole point of a system like mine is that I want you to be able to ensure that people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, that you're controlling what you need to control. And if you can do that, then, and you start collecting this data, like our client did, you start collecting this data and you start running better operations. Then when you do have a problem, you can pinpoint it quickly. This, and this is the key, right? You can, you can find that you have a problem that you didn't know about. You can crowdsource a solution or at least get some understanding of why this is actually mm -hmm. happening. Then you can make a change, whatever that change is, get it fixed, change a process, make it easier, switch to a new product, whatever that entails. And then you can, and then because you're using the same system to run your process, you can just change the process in the system. And now you've identified a problem, crowdsourced a solution, come up with a, a crowdsourced like information, come up with a solution and change the process. And it's that feedback loop that when you can do that faster, and you can do that better than your competitor. It's going to allow you to get, you're going to start increase, you're just going to start winning across the board because they don't even know they have a problem and you've already solved it and moved on and you're and then you're, that's just going to lead to increased customer satisfaction and they're just going to come back more often and they're going to spend a little bit more money and they're going to be happier with coming and experiencing your business and then all of a sudden you're going to start to see the like the difference of the companies that are doing this that constant feedback loop versus the companies that aren't. And then those companies that aren't are going to look at their competitor and go, how is this guy getting end caps in the strip center? How are they running so many ads? Why mm -hmm. are they growing so fast? And it's going to be, why are, why aren't we able to do any of that? And it's because it's not one thing, right? Everybody's looking for one thing. What's the one thing that we have broken? And it's not yeah. one thing. It's actually 10,000 little things that are mm -hmm. pissing everyone off. And if we can, and, you know, what's broken is, is you don't have a system to identify that and fix it, you know? And, yeah. and I think this, that this notion of operations management, of actually being able to track and manage the people and know what they're doing and be able to see what they're doing without having to be on the location, that, that level of visibility and data and accountability, that's the next big, I believe, technological revolution that we're, all these companies are going to get into because, the last five to 10 years was about getting in the cloud, getting an app, getting a connected register, mm -hmm. uh, you know, putting a website up, being able to do mobile ordering, all of the sales stuff, mm -hmm. the big focus from you know the first four years of our company, that's all we heard. We're getting a new POS right now, we can't do this. Uh, we're focusing on our app right now, we can't do this. Now, all of that stuff's been democratized anybody can have that i don't you the smallest guy in the world can have a full e-commerce store in their location right so that's all done so then what's the next big battleground well i think now that we have this new technology it's going to be back to ops how do we run this like how do we run our business like a walmart distribution center 
how do we run it like an Amazon, right? That's going to be the next battleground is that level of efficiency and control and how it comes from sensors and robots and people and how they all are going to be working together to figure it out. But this is the next battleground, you know, for companies because, and this, and you're going to see companies go out of business faster in the next 20 years than you've ever seen in the history of the world. It used to be if you were number two, you would guaranteed half the sales of number one in your market. Right. That kind of stuff's going to evaporate because we're all big babies and we want it now and we want it right and we want it clean yeah. and we want like it perfect. And the guy that can deliver that at every location and is like figuring out his own problems and solving them, that guy's going to win every time. And these other guys are just going to be sitting there going, oh, my gosh, what's happening to me? You know, and by figure it out. It takes so long to dig out of a hole, you know. Uh-huh. And speaking of clean, I mean, if you think about it, like what you're doing is an amazing it's an amazing tool. Right. Uh, but it's only as good. Right. As the data that's given to you, the quality of the data. Right. <laughs> you know, wow. and you probably have plenty of time where you're sitting there dealing with a customer and their data is bad and they're like, oh, you're giving me bad decisions, you know, to make and stuff. <laughs> you touch on something that's so key to this. And like, it's really interesting because we're moving into like, you know, uh, deeper data science, deeper dives into the data. I've actually created something. And I, I kind of think, and you tell me if I'm wrong, I believe that I'm the only guy in the world right now that can do this. And I've named it, I've named it data accuracy scoring. But because mm-hmm. of the analytics platform, but I also control the means of the data being entered because they use my platform. I have more control than like a locker or, you know, a Microsoft BI because they they only get the data after it's in the database. I right. get the data as it's coming in from a person and then put in there. Oh, so oh that's good. actually score the accuracy of the data as it's being collected. Right, right. And I call it data accuracy scoring because... I can say this checklist was accurate or not accurate based off of these different like metadata attributes that I track mm-hmm. in the background. And so, and I tell my clients, all of this data is good. Mm-hmm. Just use it for different things. So if you're looking at a specific question and a, and a specific answer, and you're trying to determine if something's good or bad in my system with one click, you can just look at the accurate results, mm-hmm. make a decision based off of accurate data but then you have all this inaccurate data too. Well, what is that data good for? That data is good for coaching the teams in the field. Hey, yeah. 85% of your checklists are inaccurate because you're not doing the, you're not actually doing them correctly, right? And so I can then say, okay, that's a management problem. I can't make people be honest and do a good job. Trust me, if I could do that, I'd be a trillionaire right now. But, <laughs> But like, I can say this, you, you need to go, like I'm now flagging your district managers to go talk to your store managers to go, Hey dude, you guys aren't doing this correctly. Right. You need to like pay a little bit more attention. This is the why behind it. This is why it's important. Why you should do it correctly. So all the data we collect is valuable. It's just valuable for different aspects of the job. And one of the cool things I can do too, is I can actually change a checklist based on the person filling it out. So I, because we have our company, and I don't want to get too much of it, but we have the most advanced checklist builder in the space. So uh, we can do things in checklists that nobody else can do. 
And one of them is it can identify who's doing it and it can change it based off of how good of an employee they are. So, <laughs> you know, so like if you're like great, you come in, you do a thoughtful job every day and we can, we can tell that you're a good employee and you're doing a good job and you really care and you're just whatever. I can give you a really nice, easy version of the checklist that takes you five minutes. And mm -hmm. if you're a jerk and you're lying and you just breeze through these things, I can slow that checklist down and make it so arduous that, you know, you'll either quit or you'll like start doing a better job. And then as you get better, I can make it easier for you. And that can all happen dynamically in the back. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's amazing. You know, and I mean, you shed so much light and I would love to, I mean, this conversation has to continue because I think about like validity of those type of things, right? You know, I mean, that's a great conversation to have, right? Uh, uh, about being able to uh, determine accuracy based off of employees and all that stuff. I mean, there, you you all have implemented some crazy, super cool things within that tool set that, you know, I would love to dive into, you know, I mean, outside of this, of course, because I don't, you know, I, I just want to have fun, right? <laughs> you know, but uh, but I would love to to connect more. I mean, so I, I know with with interest of time, um, I definitely want to uh, summarize what we've been talking about because I think this was a great conversation in my eyes. You know, we talked about how, you know, you cannot do to me return on investment without data, right? And uh, I mean, you can, but the quality data, right? You know, will improve accuracy and support your final decision. Um, and I have stories about that, you know, ends and ends of stories, you know, that I won't share here, but, you know, data and processes are important, right? Medical field, finance, marketing, uh, optimizing, optimizing your products, you name it. And uh, data can play a role in almost every facet of how you engage with your customer. Is there anything you want to leave the audience with? Well, yeah, so much. I, I would just say, um, I want, please, if we can do another uh, version two of this episode, I'd love to keep diving into it. And I know that I'm the one that has the schedule constraint here, so I apologize. Uh, but what I want to say is this. I truly believe that operations data, the data that we can collect on our on our team members now is the next big tech revolution. And it's providing I know for a fact that it's providing our our clients mm -hmm. with insights into their own businesses that they never had before. And it's providing them not only insights into what's happening, but it's also the tool that they can use to change the process. It's the system that it's, they have a system that they can use to manage and collect data from and then make changes into. So it's this holistic feedback loop all in one platform. And I'm telling you, this is the next battleground because as we bring robots in and as we bring sensors in and we have human beings and all of these things working together, you're going to need a system that can analyze all the data from all these different things. And so you can make better decisions. And mm -hmm. the name of the game in the future is going to be who's making the fastest, best decisions. Mm. That's been the way technology has made that the game in every industry, but now it's finally coming to, it's always been in finance. It's been, you know, I put my data center closer to the ocean. So I get that the first, like I get a millisecond of more, you know, yeah. speed on the data coming out of New York, that kind of stuff. But now those kinds of concepts are moving to human team member uh, you know, metrics, which you never had before. They were just a black hole. So I would Absolutely. sum up with, you got to get data on what your teams are doing and you got to get systems in place because 
your business depends on it because your competitor is, and as they do a better job, you're going to see them grow and you're not going to understand why, because it's not one thing. It's controlling a thousand little things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Tommy. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the data is my science podcast, the show that makes data your passion with your host, Dapper Data.